Hello, I'm Ryan. And I'm Anand. You're listening to What Do We Even Know Anyway, the podcast where we answer questions that you've never even thought about asking. Welcome to our first episode about... Wait, I thought this episode was episode zero. You're so right. Welcome to our zeroth episode about, well, zero. So Ryan, one of the things that I guess we both have wondered about is why is zero so important? And why did it take us so long to find it? Well, you know, I mean, I think one of the reasons for why it took us so long is even though that for us, zero is pretty easy to understand, we can think of it as a number, it's not as intuitive as we might think. You know, we're not born with a natural understanding of zero. Yeah, and so one example I found of this comes from the work of Elizabeth Brennan. And so in her work, she wanted to see how children recognize the number zero and what they think about it. And so she gave children basically two index cards with different amounts of dots on them. And she told them, choose the index card with less dots. And when comparing two numbers like two and six or three and five, children did exceedingly well. They could always guess the lowest number of dots. But when she started comparing zero with with another number of dots, she found that the children had a much harder time choosing zero. So her work kind of shows that children don't necessarily think of zero as a number, as a real value. Um, And it's not an immediate human thought to do so. It's not a natural instinct to do so. Yeah, that's actually pretty cool because I actually saw a similar study, but it was instead of being done by a child, it was done by a chimpanzee. So have you ever heard of the chimpanzee eye? No, I haven't. Well, he's kind of a famous uh, animal in the world of math, I guess. He basically, um, he's basically a test subject, but they call him a student because he shows up to class every day. Um, And he's learning math, he's learning numbers. Um, And in some things, he actually performs better than humans, like remembering sequences of numbers. Sometimes he can actually uh, remember better than humans. But anyways, one of the things that he did was they would show him a screen of numbers and he would have to tap the numbers in order. So if, you know, maybe the first 10 digits, um, starting with one, so like the first nine digits actually, show up and he would have to tap them in order and he could eventually over time learn to do this pretty well but when they added zero into the mix so maybe so it would be like a box without any dots in it so the absence of um, a number of things he actually didn't exactly know where this fit in on the number line so at first i put zero between six and seven um which obviously we know that it's not between six and seven it's before one um and as more and more trials went on and he was rewarded for getting correct answers. He would put it down now between five and six and four and five and lower and lower. And then eventually after hundreds of trials, he could get it very close to one, but he could never really figure out if it was less than one. So that's kind of a fundamental um, part of the understanding of zero is knowing that it's less than one and his chimpanzee could not uh, have that understanding. So like you said, not everyone can intuitively place zero on a number line and see it as a number um and this might be because zero just doesn't occur in nature you know 
we have to recognize that something is not there and then give it a name and a symbol and understand that it's still something, even though um, it doesn't technically exist, you might say. Yes, and that's exactly what we did, um, or what Indians did in the seventh century. And so leading up to this discovery, there wasn't actually, no civilization had thought of zero as a true number, a true value. Yeah, so I mean, really at the time where most of the mathematical discoveries that we know of, so really Western discoveries, um, those all came out of using the system of Roman numerals. But Roman numerals really weren't great for a lot of things, even though so many mathematical uh, discoveries were being made. And, you know, it's an efficient in one way because it only uses seven symbols, which is even less than we use today. But it's very bad for arithmetic and things like that because the length of a number is not dependent on the value of a number. So, you know, X, which means 100, I think, um, is actually only one symbol, whereas like I, like I, 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 which would be four, is four symbols and it's way smaller than 100. So, I mean, if you think about trying to like add two Roman numerals, the only way I could do it is to convert it to our own decimal understanding. You know, I would convert X to 100, I, I, I to four, and I could add that by adding four to 100, but I wouldn't actually be able to do that using the Roman numerals. So it's really just not a great system for abstracting math to things that you can't actually see in the real world. Yeah. And I think X is 10, but... Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah. And so what Ryan is saying that when we get to co more complex math, we need, we need to use zero at some point. And the invention of zero or the discovery of it comes, we bring us back to India in the seventh century and to a guy named Brahmagupta. And so in this work that he wrote, Corrected Treatise of Brahma, uh, he shows that he has like some, at least some understanding of zero. He uh, uses a symbol called a sunya. And not only does he refer to it as this placeholder, like the Babylonians had been doing, but he also definitely understands that zero has its own value, has its own properties. Um, and he also was able to give rules about multiplying, adding, and subtracting with zero. And there is kind of a reason that the Indians may have come up with uh, the concept of zero where other societies like Europeans did not. And this might be due to kind of religious and philosophic beliefs. Hindu and Buddhist beliefs um, further in the East kind of glorified and accepted like the divinity of nothing. Um, and like they accepted that a, a void was just a void, you know, and that probably might have allowed them um, to better think about and understand this concept and come up with it. And that's in sharp contrast to like the Europeans. In Europe, it wasn't really accepted um, to believe of the concept of nothing at all because they thought, well, if you accept nothing as something, then it's kind of a paradox. It's no longer nothing at all anymore. So it would not be 
like in line with the times. I don't know, maybe they'd like throw them in prison to think of that. I don't know what they did. Yeah, I know that in Italy, there was actually a, a law that said that you're not allowed to, to use zero. It was um, in the 13th century, uh, there was a law that forbid the use of zero in it for merchant like note keeping and things like that. So Europe really had this reluctance to accept. Yeah. Basically, for a long time, zero was not accepted within Europe, but eventually it, it was just such a better system, um, the counting system with zero, that it did get accepted. Um, so that was about in the 17th century. And if you know um, much about European history, you probably know that that corresponds kind of closely to the time of the scientific revolution. So it was now that they understood zero that you know, Rene Descartes could come up with the Cartesian plane to that starts at zero, obviously, you know, on the X, on the origin of the graph at zero. Um, so that allowed for many things to happen. Okay, so I wanted to share with you a story that kind of results from everything we've been talking about. That is the late discovery of zero, as well as European reluctance to accept it. And it starts with this controversy that happened recently, and that's when should we celebrate the millennium? So let me just ask you, when do you think that we should celebrate the millennium? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I guess just the thousandth year or the two thousandth year, you know? So yeah. year 2000. Yeah, so it turns out if you ask the general public, most of them will say, yeah, let's celebrate it 2000 in the year 2000, let's celebrate it in the year 1000. But most official sources, so that's like New York Times, Washington Post, Scientific American, those newspapers, as well as the Library of Congress and the Royal Greenwich Observatory um, say that that's just incorrect. We should be celebrating it in the year 2001. Well, actually, now that I'm real quick, now that you're saying that, it actually kind of makes sense because when everyone would say 2020, a new decade, I'd be like, well, not exactly, because, you yeah. know, there wasn't a year zero, but go ahead. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So since the calendar starts in 1 AD, or I guess now we say CE, um, then that means that the first century would be from 1 to 100, and the second century would be from 101 to 200. And so since we start with 1, everything is sort of out of place. That's true. It's kind of going to annoy me from now on. Yeah. And so I just wanted to talk about, like, why does the calendar start at 1? Because I thought that was weird. Um, and why does the calendar go from 1 BC to 1 AD? Shouldn't there be a zero in there? That just seems intuitive to me. And so the the calendar that or the year system i guess that we use now it started with this guy named dionysius um and so he lived in the fifth century and what he was trying to do is he's trying to calculate when should we celebrate easter and he he finds out that during this process he's he finds out that we're actually living 525 years after the birth of christ and um well, it turns out he was wrong. They were living about 529 years after the birth of Christ, but he says 525. <laughs> Close enough. Um, so he says, why don't we use that as the start of a new era? 
because at the current time they were using this Roman emperor to start um, his reign to start the new era. And that Roman emperor kind of persecuted um, Christians. So he wanted to create this new Christian calendar, but he didn't have much success in popularizing it. But later, about 200 years later, um, in the year 731, this monk named Bede um, popularized um, the calendar. And he thought, I can make this calendar even better. Um, Dionysius had just started with one and just wanted to go forward. But Bede said, let's account for all the years that happened before that too. And the problem is that the concept of zero, which was created in the seventh century, had not reached Europe yet. And so he started with one BC. And so there was this gap, this missing whole zero. And that zero creates a lot of problems. So some people who argue that we need to do something about this are like astronomers who say, well, all of these comets, all these natural phenomena, they, they're going to behave as if there's a zero there. Like if it repeats uh, 25 years, there's going to be some problems. And so one solution that I think kind of works well is this French astronomer named Jacques Cassini. I don't know if that's how you pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, I've never heard of him. But. He says that we should just replace one BC with zero. And so then yeah. two BC should be one BC. So then we don't even have to change the year we're in right now, but then everything makes sense again. It would be like the war of 1811. That would just not sound right. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. No, but, no, but 1812 would still be right, but if it was anything BC. Oh, oh yeah, I see what you're saying. Oh yeah, then we might as well do that because I don't know any dates <laughs> back then anyways.